Hey everybody, welcome to the 10 to 12 podcast, the official podcast of Teamsters Local 1150. I'm Stephen French. I'm Vinny Caizzi. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. So there's a lot of stuff going on, um, both at the local union level, um, on the national stage. So we're going to kind of do a potpourri sort of episode. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff, nothing specific, no main topic, just a bunch of stuff that's going on, just update you on some of those things. Um, So that's what we're doing today. But first, let's take a dive into the contract. All right. So today we're going to look at 7.36 in our contract, which talks about bereavement or funeral pay. So in the event of a death in your immediate family, you're entitled to take three days off paid uh, with no points. There's a few stipulations that you have to follow. Um, you can only collect pay for a scheduled workday. So that means Saturday, Sunday, holidays, vacation, uh, or authorized leave of absence are excluded. And funeral pay will not exceed eight hours on any one given day. Um, it, it's paid at the employee's base hourly wage plus cost of living when applicable, but it excludes all premiums, so you're not going to get a shift premium or uh, any bonuses or overtime allowances. So the contract states that such paid absence will normally terminate on the day of the funeral. There's cases where exceptions can be made, but it's always better to talk to your steward ahead of time. Let the steward have a conversation with HR and try to arrange that rather than go out and then ask for forgiveness later. Um, So one example that I've seen as a steward is I've had an employee who had to travel out of state cross country for a death in his immediate family. Yeah, that's a real common one. Yeah, so in a case like that, they're not going to make you terminate you know, your absence on the day of the funeral because you still have to travel home and they don't expect you to, you know, end a funeral, get on a plane and be back at work at potentially 6 a.m. the next morning. Um, So in that case, we were able to work with HR ahead of time, get an agreement that the guy could move those three days to terminate the day after the funeral. So he didn't get more time. It was just a little bit more convenient which three days were able to be used. So employees have a few other responsibilities to ensure that they get paid for their bereavement or funeral pay. Uh, You need to notify your supervisor promptly upon learning of a death, and you're supposed to submit a request for payment within 48 hours after you return to work from such absence. Uh, the company's likely going to require a verification of the death and the relationship to the employee. So they'll ask you a lot of times for an obituary or in cases where there hasn't been an obituary, people have used uh, a death certificate. Employees scheduled for mandatory overtime on Saturday, Sunday, or a holiday who are absent on such scheduled Saturday, Sunday, or holiday for the purpose of attending the funeral uh, of a member of their immediate family will be eligible for funeral pay under the guidelines of this section. So that would apply to somebody that works like in the powerhouse that's on a continuous seven-day operating schedule. Yep. And the last thing I want to point out is that the company clearly defines which relationships qualify for funeral pay. It's listed right in our contract. Uh, A lot of times people are surprised when they say, oh, you know, I was close to my aunt or my uncle. How come that's not covered? Unfortunately, that's just one of the relationships that are not covered. So the cases that are going to be covered are going to be spouse, child, stepchild, Father, mother, father-in-law, mother-in-law, step-parent, brother, sister, step-brother, step-sister, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, son-in-law, daughter-in-law, grandchild, grandparent, legal dependent, brother, sister, or grandparent of the employee's spouse. And that basically covers everything you need to know about getting your leave paid. Awesome. Good stuff. Thanks, Jason. Um, so, so let's get into what we're going to talk about again, not one specific topic, just kind of a bunch of things that are going on out there that we want to, want to update you on. Um, 
So one of the things that we're seeing out there is a is an uptick in the attempt to organize in retail. Uh, um, so so retail unions are are kind of you know growing, maybe strengthening, um, certainly making more of an effort out there. Yes. So we want to talk about the retail unions. Um, we've been talking lately about unions all over the country. You know, of course, the Starbucks thing that's that's ongoing, the efforts to organize Amazon. Um, we've talked recently about sports and entertainment unions, so we're going to spend some time now talking about retail unions. And retail is traditionally a non-union industry, right? This is a very difficult industry yes. to organize. And why? Why is it so so difficult to organize? I think one of the main reasons, these are typically lower paying jobs. A lot of them are entry level jobs. Uh, some of them are seasonal and you end up having a lot of turnover. Yeah, so you do. It's very difficult to, you know, go out and take the time to organize people to, you know, get interest, develop interest, you know, file for an election. It, yep. It's a lengthy process, right? Right. And so so you start the process and it, it's a months long process at least. So when you start that process, you have this group of employees and by the time you're you're well into the process and you're getting approval for to have an election, you have a whole different group of workers, right? right. It's yeah. not the people you started the campaign with. Yeah, and so that makes it hard. You know, another difficulty you wouldn't think about, but after talking to some of the guys I know that have organized workforces is when you're dealing with these entry level jobs, Unfortunately, a lot of these people don't have pay that they can sustain one job. So you'll try to get them in their off shift just to, you know, communicate with them and try and generate some interest. They're probably at another job working. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, that that makes them, you know, all the things that we're talking about makes these folks prime targets for organizing, right? They're low paying jobs, um, inconsistent hours. Uh, things like that make them certainly a prime target for unionization, but also makes it difficult to do. Um, I think what else makes them a prime target is during the COVID-19 pandemic, we found out a lot of these jobs were the most important ones because they kept our country going. Yeah, no doubt. And and I think, you know, they're still pretty vital jobs and, you know, not to not to get off on a on the wrong subject, but we're seeing now major difficulties in in hiring into these jobs. Right. People don't want to do these jobs. Yeah, it's really it's all industries, you know. It's funny because we're looking at the different types of unions and, and how there's interest. But really, the interest seems to be growing just in any entry-level position that's being taken advantage of in terms of wages, benefits, hours, and right. you know yes. what you're willing to put up with. Right. And, you know, so a, a couple of years ago, at least a couple of years ago, we saw that big push for the $15, $15 minimum wage, and that came out of places like McDonald's, Yes. right? And now, I mean, I can tell you, I went to McDonald's just a couple of weeks ago, went to the drive-thru, and sat at the drive-thru for five minutes before I realized nobody's working the drive-thru. And when I went into the restaurant, I asked, and they said, yeah, we don't have enough people to man the drive-thru. Yeah. So that I mean, and that to me, that's crazy. We I've never seen that before. Yeah, you know, and it's funny. I read the other day, as far as the fifteen dollar fight, they said the fight for fifteen dollars has been going on for so long that yes. now you really actually need like twenty five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. you need more. Which I know how crazy that's going to sound to people, but yeah. I mean, 
with inflation with where it's at. Yeah, it doesn't sound any crazier than $8 a gallon for gas. No, so, it doesn't. Um, so currently about 5% of retail workers are unionized. Uh, so that's really low, right? Certainly it's it's a glaring need. It's a hole in organized labor, Yeah. right? So it, it's certainly an industry that we need to go after. Um, the two biggest unions out there that are making this effort to, to unionize the retail industry are the UFCW, that's the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, and the RWDSU, which is the Retail Wholesale and Department Store Union. Um, so although there, there are other efforts out there from other unions ac- across the board, uh, these are the two main unions that are working on this effort. Uh, there's a couple of new efforts out there right now taking place. Uh, one at Trader Joe's Market in Cambridge, Mass. Another one at a Target in in Christiansburg, Virginia. And then there's the Apple Store thing going on kind of across the country at several locations. So, um, Vinny, I know you got some information on that. What's going on with those? So, the Trader Joe's, uh, what I found information on was uh, in Hadley, Mass, where okay. uh, Dan Bain, the CEO, sent a basically an anti-union letter to the workers saying if the store shows 30% support for a union election, it will happen. But I believe that's that's what the law says anyway. So he's, you know. <laughs> yeah. Ma- Thanks for following the law. Yeah. What a guy. Yeah. It, his his name is Bain? <laughs> Dan, it says Dan Bain. Wow. Isn't that like a bad guy in, in Batman? Batman? Yeah. That's what I thought. Bain is the CEO. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this campaign was partly inspired by what's going on uh, with Starbucks and Amazon. Uh, the group with home, hopes to establish the, the chain's first union, and they're, they're calling themselves Trader Joe's United, and they're at Store 512 in Hadley. Uh, discontent w- uh, from, uh, with the workers stemmed from years of rolling back benefits, stagnant wages, and unaddressed health and safety issues. And I believe they also had a lot of issues that – came up during uh, the COVID pandemic. One example where the company started eroding uh, benefits is the contribution to their 401k plan. It used to be a 15% contribution, then they went down to a 10%, and then they went down to a 5%. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Trader Joe's is a private company that has more stores than Whole Foods at 556 across the country, employs about 10,000 people across the country, and pulls in nearly $14 billion dollars in revenue annually. You know, it, it's interesting because that's a place that tries to portray themselves as like this, you know, local neighborhood market. Also very they portray themselves as a progressive very company. progressive, yep. And and you know, all we, you know, we we love our customers and we love our workers yes. and we don't but we only love them 5%. Yes. Yeah, some of the videos I've seen are from workers who have been there for years, like 15, 20 years, who say that image of the company that customers shop there for um, as being, you know, taking care of their workers is something that used to be true, but it's just eroded in recent years. Yeah, because they got big. And yeah. I actually know one of our stewards actually worked at Trader Joe's, I think, in Fairfield prior to working at uh, Sikorsky. Really? He said at the time it was a great place to work. Yep. But now it's, you know, it seems like it's not yeah. really the case. Yeah. The company's owned by the same German family that owns uh, the Aldi chain. Oh. So I believe the company is privately owned. Okay. And that, in that particular store, near uh, most of the hundred workers that work there support unionization. Hmm. Well, then, then I guess we're going to eventually see I'm hoping. success there. 
that would be good. Um, what about Target? What's going on there? So what I found was about uh, May 10th, the employees at, at the Target in Christiansburg, Virginia, filed paperwork for an election with the NLRB. Uh, they're, they're seeking to be the, fir uh, the first Target branch with a Industrial Workers of the World Union. They're going with the IWW? Yes. Wow. That's interesting. Um, I have to be honest with you. Um, I didn't realize that the IWW was still around. It I is. thought they were kind of an old union that 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 you know fell out of uh, that that kind of just disbanded. Yeah, because they were so really too. militant and and quite frankly violent back in the the That's right the, the beginnings of the labor movement. Yep. interesting. That's really interesting. Um, and Apple, what's going on there? Apple Store in particular in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, Employees filed for an election with over 70% 70, 70 of support from the 100 eligible employees <laughs> signing an authorization card. The group, which includes salespeople, technicians, creatives, and operations specialists, uh, and they're seeking to be, uh, be represented by the uh, CWA, Communication Workers of America. Good. But the election has been withdrawn because of repeated violations of the uh, National, La uh, National Labor Relations Act. Huh. On whose part? The company. Uh, CWSA is saying it's uh, an election would be impossible to be free and fair in that location. So they're not giving up the, the effort. They're just, they, they canceled that one election because yes. they don't think it's going to be fair. and They're going to re-petition. Yeah. Okay. All right. And uh, something else I should I want to add about uh, Apple is that they they were sending uh, mandatory videos to people to discourage them from uh, unionizing. And another thing that I read that I this is a while ago I didn't find it again, but I know that the workers were using uh, Android phones to thwart Apple. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty good. That's awesome. <laughs> you gotta love that. Okay, um, so that's all good stuff. Um, we, we love talking about those efforts to, to form unions, especially in kind of new industries. So we're going to continue to update you on that as well as, you know, the usuals, the, the Amazons and the Starbucks and give you some updates on that. But what else is going on? We, we have some stuff um, going on with the National Labor Relations Board that I think is huge. Um, Really big deal. Really big deal. So what did um, it, it has to do with Jennifer Abruzzo, who is the uh, general counsel for the National Labor Relations Board. What did she do recently? Yeah, so she issued a memorandum to all field offices announcing that she's going to ask the board to find that mandatory captive audience meetings, uh, which is where an employer takes employees into a room and it's on company time and you're forced to listen to basically negative anti-union rhetoric. Um, and it doesn't have to be true because you're getting paid and you're forced to be there. Yep. Uh, they're looking to make these basically unlawful. So you won't be able to force an employee to sit through these anymore. And, you know, I think it's important to point out that the climate at the NLRB has been what's allowed this success of unionization yep. in the past year, yeah. you know, two years. Yep. Um, uh, no doubt about it. And I can't overstate the importance of this move um, on the part of the general counsel. It's its huge for the labor movement. Absolutely. Captive audience meetings, and, and you know if you listen to this podcast at all, 
you you know about captive audience meetings because we talk about them all the time. It is the number one tactic that employers use to discourage unionization. Yeah, they're they're spending a lot of money to drill home misconceptions and yep. just downright lies about unions. Yep, it happens everywhere from small companies to huge companies. They all do it. It's the number one tactic. Um, and, and and it works. It does discourage people from unionizing. It scares people. It, it you know people buy into the lies. So really big deal that um, if this goes through, that people will not have to attend these meetings anymore. Yeah. So the board has long recognized that the act protects employees' right to listen to or to refrain from listening to employer speech concerning their rights to collectively act. Um, or to improve their workplace. So forcing employees to attend captive audience meetings under the threat of discipline discourages employees from exercising that that right to refrain from listening. Yeah. So um, let's be clear about this. This is not saying that that companies can't hold meetings, right? Employers can hold these meetings, but they can't make them mandatory. Yeah. They They have to be voluntary. Yeah. So in the past, the board had incorrectly concluded that an employer does not violate the act by compelling employees to attend. Um, And, you know, they found that's not accurate. Yeah. So um, General Counsel Abruzzo actually put out a statement, um, and I want to read what she said. She said, this license to coerce is an anomaly in labor law, inconsistent with the act's protection of employees' free choice. It is based on a fundamental misunderstanding of the employer's speech rights. I believe that the NLRB case precedent, which has tolerated such meetings, is at odds with fundamental labor law principles, our statutory language, and our congressional mandate. Because of this, I plan to urge the board to reconsider such precedent and find mandatory meetings of this sort unlawful. That's awesome, really powerful stuff. Awesome. And and just so everybody understands, the general counsel of the National Labor Relations Board carries a lot of weight. It, it, that is the most powerful position on the board, very influential, and most often it's a voice that is listened to. So, um, you know, if this is successful, it's a really big deal. Um, it delivers a major blow to those companies who routinely use these these meetings in their anti-union campaigns. Yeah, and I think the important thing is we want, I think as unions, for employees to get accurate, factual information and make their decision. Yeah. So, you know, on the union side, nobody's looking to coerce a new member into joining. Right. Uh, we just want the opportunity to provide accurate information, let them know what a union's about. It's not a third party that's going to come in and take over your workforce. It's, you know, a, a board of your peers that are going to represent your interests. Yes. Yep. Something that we should add is that Connecticut became the second state to pass a law against captive audience meetings. Right. Uh, basically, a worker does, uh, can refuse to attend or can leave at, at, any, at any time without worrying about being uh, disciplined. I think it's a big deal. For the state of Connecticut, yep. and well, really the country, the other the other state is Oregon. They passed one, uh, maybe I think 2009 or 2010. So wow. it's good to see that Connecticut made this move and did it as well. Yeah, no doubt. You know, the other thing too is it's spreading not just within the private sector, but you're seeing it now move over to public sector sure. and mm-hmm. even to U.S. government. Yep. Uh, they recently allowed House staffers to unionize. Yeah. Awesome. 
Um, that that's that's a good thing. That's yeah. been going on for a while, right? Yeah, they've been trying to go after it for a while. Uh, legislation was introduced in the House of Representatives in 1995. Actually, it was wow. just passed by the House in May. So that's 27 years. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so so what does the legislation do? So basically, it removes exceptions from labor law that previously restricted House of Representatives staffers' rights to join and form unions. Um, so the rule opens up the door for as many as 9,100 workers on Capitol Hill to unionize. Wow. Uh, lobbying from the fledgling Congressional Workers Union was done very quietly and in many cases anonymously because government workers don't enjoy the same rights as private sector workers um, in terms of protections. Right. So they the, the government workers, you know, historically don't necessarily have the right to join unions. Um, and so making that effort to change that rule is scary for them, uh, because if anybody thinks that government isn't willing to do the same thing that big corporations do to to thwart those union efforts, you're wrong. They are willing to do that. Yeah. So these folks were were. They were afraid, right? So they were doing this kind of anonymously and, and, and behind closed doors and very quietly talking to people only the, who they trusted. Um, and, and so that, that makes it kind of scary, right? Um, so now we're in a wait and see situation. Um, we'll, we'll keep our eye on this situation and see how many of these congressional workers actually do make that effort to join a union because – this doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to unionize. It just gives them the right to do so. Um, again, unlike us in the private sector, we always had the right to join a union. They literally did not have the right to join a union. Now they do, so let's see what happens. Yeah, you know, everybody has their negative opinion of politicians, but these are the people sitting in the offices when you call to lobby your politician that are answering phones, yep, that exactly. are doing the you know the grunt work and you know constantly grinding through, you know, Hours and hours of oh yeah they they th these people work so hard so when when a bill is introduced for instance and and that bill is twenty five hundred pages guess who reads it yeah the the these people are the ones who read that bill and and hand a house member a five page summary yep. that they can read so um you know th these are people who are really doing like you said the grunt work up there on the hill. Yeah, and I'd, I'd imagine if you don't fall in line with, you know, whoever is on your team, you're not going to be around very long. I would guess so. So probably a, a place where unionization is well needed. Yep. Yeah. So there's some stuff going on right here at home, uh, right here at Local 1150, that I think really is important to our members, even though they're not directly involved. It's important. And, and one of those things is our steward seminar. We hold a steward seminar every year. Um, in fact, Local 1150 hosts the steward seminar for all of Connecticut Teamster stewards every year. And we're doing it again this year. So it'll be on June 25th. Uh, again, stewards across Connecticut from Teamster locals all over Connecticut are, are going to come here to local 1150s Union Hall. We're expecting upwards of 300 stewards and business agents and, and officers from locals across the state. Uh, Sean O'Brien, our new general president, awesome. is going to be there. Um, Can't wait. And he's going to address the stewards, and that'll be exciting. So that should bring in a lot of folks, right? We should have a lot of people here. Again, this is open only to stewards. Um, but the day is really intended to 
to educate stewards, to motivate them. Um, and these are the folks who are the foundation of the labor movement. Everybody in labor understands this, that stewards are at the core of the labor movement. They are really what what makes the labor movement what it is. Um, and, and as you know out there listening, they're your first line of defense. When you have a problem in the shop, that's who you call, right? You call a steward. And you want that steward to be educated, to be motivated, and to be well-equipped to give you the services that you pay for, right, to provide those services. So this is a really important day for you as a member because it's making the representation that you get every day from your stewards better, a better product, right? Yeah. You know, I've had the opportunity to attend a lot of these and it is, it's a good opportunity to meet stewards from other locals, um, kind of, you know, meet other people from within our industry. Um, but it's, it's a great opportunity to learn too. Yeah. And I think it's worth pointing out, you know, we always beg people to get involved in the union, but 300 stewards will be here on, on the weekend. Yep. in the middle of summer to train to do a better job to represent you. Yep. A job um, they do for free. Yep. And they will not be paid for this weekend either. Right. So, in, you know, when we start up our membership meetings in September again, please, you know, set aside one day a month. It's one day. Everybody's yep. got yes. a busy life. Yep. Um, but you either make the time to be part of this labor movement or you don't. Absolutely. That's a really good point, Jason. So there's going to be representatives there at the, the seminar from the IBT training department. Um, we'll have our labor lawyers there and, and they're all going to put on, you know, presentations and, and, you know, give us some education, give us some, some, um, some things to think about. And like you said, Jason, it's a great day to collaborate, right? Because, you know, we live in our world of Local 1150 and we do things a certain way. And, and, and these seminars are a really good opportunity for us to talk to folks from other locals and see how they do things, right? Because maybe they're doing things um, better than us. And, and that's something that we can learn from so that, again, we can improve the, the representation that we provide for our members. So um, it all means that, you know, there's a better chance at a better result for you as a member when you call on us. So um, that should be a great time. And I'm really glad you said what you said, Jason, about, you know, how they're making this commitment, right? This is a commitment. Um, being a steward is kind of a thankless job, right? And, and we, don't, we don't go into it looking for thanks, we don't look for for accolades. We do it because it's what we want to do. We want to help people, and um, and most most stewards are really dedicated to it and willing to put that extra time in, like you said, on a weekend and during the summer. So um, you know, pay that forward as members. Right? Yeah, I point out that it's not paid just because we have a lot of new members who I've had come up to me and just assume that a steward is a paid position. Right. You know, yeah, you're paid when you're on the clock, but. Yeah, not paid. Yeah. Uh, so, so another thing that we have going on is our Career Pathways program. And we've mentioned it. I think we've talked about it on the podcast a little bit. But we've had a couple of years off, right, and, and the, where we haven't done the Career Pathways program. And although this is a, a partnership, it's a three-way partnership, actually a four-way partnership between the union, the company, the schools that are involved, and the state Department of Education, right? But to be clear, this is a union program. And, and I think a lot of people, maybe especially our, our younger workers, our younger members, 
don't understand exactly what the Career Pathways program is, and I think it's important to make some distinctions, right? So, um, again, we're starting up after a couple of years off because of COVID, um, but Career Pathways is, it's a union-run program. We bring dozens of high school students into Sikorsky Aircraft Factories to work as interns for the summer. The program is open to juniors and seniors who attend one of the program's partner schools. So not any high school kid, unfortunately, can can come into the program. We're looking for certain certain students, right? We're not looking for kids who want to go to college. We're looking for kids who want to work in factories, right? right? Who yeah. want to do this work. So you have to be attending one of the program's partner schools. Uh, they have the opportunity to work during the summer between their junior and senior year. And then again, if they're invited back, they can work the summer following their senior year. Um, the internship is eight weeks of full-time work each of those summers. Students are going to earn full union wages. They're going to pay dues. So they're full dues-paying members of Local 1150. They are union members while they are student interns. Um, and, and maybe most importantly, they're paired with a Teamster mentor who is an expert in their field, right, an expert at the job that they do, and these kids learn the job that they're assigned to, right? It's not, you know, they, they don't run and get coffee for eight weeks, right? They're learning a job right. in the factory. Um, and sometimes they rotate through different positions, right? Yep, sometimes, yeah, depending on, on what area they're in. So uh, for me, the, the core of this program and the reason that this program exists is so that the kids can learn about unions, right? Yeah. Real experience. Yeah. It's a union job. You're going to you're going to feel what it's like to work in a union job in a union environment. Um, you're going to learn about the labor movement and see firsthand what what it's like to be a part of that movement. Um, and you're going to get tons of on-job training, right, these kids. But in addition to that, they're going to attend, I think, the best day of the summer is Labor History yeah. Day. So we actually have a field trip where mentors and students go and learn all day long about the history of labor, including unions, right? Really important stuff. Awesome. And, and, and this program was brought to Rocco Kalo by a guy by the name of Howard Seat, who was working with the AFL-CIO developing a program like this for them. And, and Rocco loved that program so much that he wanted to start it here at Sikorsky Aircraft. And he, he awesome. negotiated that with the company and started it up here. And this is a union program intended to educate young people about the positives of unions, right? Yeah. To, to dispel those those bad things that we hear all the time about unions. Good. Get kids when they're young, right? It's an yeah. indoctrination, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? There, we don't do, we do our children a disservice that we don't teach them or give them a good idea of, you know, you could go to school for this and end up doing that. Yep. So it's the, the part of doing that that kids can't understand. How does this education translate to a career and what's that career going to be like? Yeah. Uh, a lot of people start a job and they hate it. Yeah. So at least, you know, we're giving the students the opportunity to see what is it going to actually be like day to day. Yep. And I think that's a, a huge, huge benefit. It really is. And, you know, what we encourage these kids to go back and, and talk about their experiences in school, you know, talk about how what a great experience this was and and what the union had to do with that. Right. Yeah. How the union influences the experience. 
Yeah. And, and and that's really important so that when those kids get to a place where maybe they're a Starbucks worker or they're an Amazon worker and, you know, there's a union campaign in their workplace, now they get it, right? They yeah. already understand the 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 power of a union and the positives of union work and they're they're not going to listen to those captive audience meetings. They're not going to listen to the lies because they already know the truth. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you talked about how this program's an opportunity for them to see firsthand what it's like. And, you know, I'm on second shift. I'm, I'm not involved in the program. Uh, yeah. Most everybody knows that it's on day shift because yep. children have to work during certain hours. Yep. Um, whether or not you're a mentor, you have the ability to impact someone's experience working in a union shop. So if you see somebody wearing a, a career pathway shirt and you take time out of your day to either explain your job or to share your experience or just to you know be friendly with the person, that's going to change their input on unions forever. Yep. Um, so you really do have the opportunity just by being a bystander in the shop to influence and mentor you know these participants, and it's something we encourage you to do. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you know the program's always looking for good mentors, and we we've already chosen the mentors for this year. Um, in fact, by the time you're listening to this podcast, um, we will have started some of the training of the mentors and things like that. So we're, we're getting into it now. Right. Yep. But if you're not a mentor, you know, and you see one walking through offer to explain your job, offer yep. to, you know, tell them what you do in your department. And, yep. You know, that makes the shop a smaller place. Great idea. Yeah. So, so one last thing I want to talk about is the Amazon organizing. Uh, but specifically, you know, I want to talk about how Sean O'Brien, when he took over the Teamsters union in March, he made it clear that this was one of the top priorities, right? Organizing yeah, Amazon absolutely. was a top priority of the Teamsters Union. Um, and already we are only a couple of months into yeah. his tenure as general president. Um, and, and we're seeing some changes that he's made already or some advancements to that effort. So on June 26th, which is a Sunday, again, we're going to have some folks who are giving up their weekend in the, sum, in the summertime. Um, on June 26th, right here at, at Local 1150's Union Hall, Joint Council 10 New England, which is our joint council, will be conducting organizer training, Amazon organizer training. Um, and it's it's pretty limited, right? We've, we've already gotten the volunteers that we need for this training. Um, we're only allotted 10 spots, and we have 10 volunteers already. Um, but this training is part of that effort that Sean talks about. He wants every local to be involved in organizing Amazon, whether, whether that local is going to actually represent Amazon workers or not, yep. that doesn't matter. He sure. wants every Teamsters local out there educated, understanding the organizing campaign and taking part in the organizing campaign. So that's what this effort is. Um, it, it, so I, I think it's really cool. I think it's going to generate some excitement Absolutely. Towards, right? Towards organizing yep. Amazon. Definitely needed. And, and if you're listening to this and you, you're saying to yourself, oh man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could take part in that. Don't just chalk it up as a missed opportunity. Let us know. 
Yep. Right. Yep. Let us know that you're interested, and maybe we hold another or uh, another training session. Um, maybe we find another way for you to be involved in organizing Amazon. But don't let that opportunity pass. Right. If if you're interested in getting involved that way, please let us know so that we can at least try to get you involved. Okay. So so that's about it. Right. That's that's what we have for today. Not a ton of stuff, but um, I, I think a good sampling of of things that are happening again, both on the, the local level and around the country in the labor movement. Um, but we have some upcoming events. Right. Yeah, so we just announced Holiday Hill, the uh, Connecticut members' family outing that we do every year, is going to be held June 18th. It's a Saturday. It'll be from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's going to be at Holiday Hill in Prospect, Connecticut. Um, this is really an awesome event for the members and their families. It's for immediate family only, so please, you know, we're not allowing people to bring friends, neighbors, cousins, or, you know, anything of that. It's immediate family. And convenient, conveniently, we just went over the definition of immediate family we for did. the funeral pay. We, we did. <laughs> Absolutely. So please try to respect that. You know, it takes away from other members' time if it gets out of hand. Um, it's supposed to be for the immediate families and, only. And most importantly, let, I, I want to explain the reason for this, right? Local 1150 heavily subsidizes this event, right? It's going to cost you $20 to go, 10 for your kids to go to this picnic. Um, this is probably a $70 per, per person price tag, okay? So the local is subsidizing the majority of the cost. And, and for us to be financially responsible, right? We have to, we have an obligation to take care of the money that is there for our members, sure. right? right. It, the, we don't collect dues so that we can buy picnic tickets for a church group, yeah. right? We are obligated to spend that money on our members. Yep. So this is really the reason for these restrictions, right? We have to be responsible with the money. We have to spend the money responsibly. So, so it's immediate family only, and, and like you said, Jason, please respect that. Um, they're they're going to require a ticket at the door. Yeah, and there's not going to be tickets sold at the gate. Right. So tickets are now on sale at Union Hall. You can come down anytime. You're going to need to show an ID. You know, you can't pick them up for the whole department. Yep. Um, but you're going to need a, a ticket to get in. You're going to have to show ID to get in. And, uh, you know, please do come down. Enjoy yeah. it. It's an awesome day. It is a great day. It's a great facility. There's so much to do. Kids love it. Yep. Um, so keep in mind, um, we always talk about meetings during this portion of the show, but um, we waived the summer meetings. So June, July, August, there are no membership meetings. So don't show up at Union Hall knocking on the door because, um, I mean, there'll be people here, but not for a meeting. No food truck. So no food truck. You'll oh, be hungry. Yeah. Um, so the next scheduled meeting is on September 21st. That'll be a Wednesday, as always, September 21st at 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. Um, food truck will be there then, but uh, you got a couple of months to relax and enjoy the, the summer fun and then come back in September for the meetings. Yeah, and if anything important comes up, obviously the executive board will call a meeting and you know get the information out to the members. The other thing is make sure you're following along. Social media is a great place to get some information. Download our app. There's constantly updates going on in there. Um, we've now added all of our events to the calendar. So if you click under uh, news and events and then go to calendar, you can see a list or a calendar view, and it's got everything loaded in there with all the flyers. 
Um, so you won't miss out on anything. Definitely nice. stay up to date. Nice yeah. job on that, Jason, by the way. If you're out there Thanks. listening and you don't realize it, Jason is the one that, that handles our app, um, doing an awesome job with the app. It, it's really popular. I, I, I hear a lot of good things about it. So um, thanks for doing that, Jason. Thank you. And if anybody has feedback on the app, please, like Steve said, email us, uh, comms at teamsters1150.org. We've had a couple comments over over the years about the layout and stuff, and uh, we want to hear what you think. Yeah. The other thing uh, we want to remind people of is contract surveys. So contract surveys are out. We're asking people, please go online and fill them out. If you know a friend that's maybe not good with you know technology, help them out. Um, it's the same link for everybody. You just log on, you enter your e number, and it's gonna you know track all of the uh, responses. And it really gives us the ability to go through, understand what's important to the members and compile everything very quickly and, and figure out what's important to you. Yeah, really important that we hear everybody's voice. Um, okay, so Vinny, I know that we already talked about Trader Joe's and Target and Apple, but anything else going on out there um, as far as labor activity? Well, something, something a little different today. So because of what's going on at Starbucks, Amazon, and Apple, and all the other companies that are trying to unionize, CNBC did a survey of, uh, of workers around the country, and it's showing that a majority of workers, 59%, would like to have a union in their workplace. And that's across all different uh, wor uh, sectors of work. Um, a lot of this is because of uh, the pandemic and the way it hit Frontline workers, the people are feeling the need to be re represented in the workplace. Awesome. So, so I think it's important for people to understand. We've been pretty excited in the last year, right? Absolutely. We've been yes, we've we been have. talking a lot, right? Because interest and activity is on the rise, right? Yes. But let's be clear: our numbers are not on the rise. Yeah. So um, the activity is encouraging. And and I think it will eventually bear that fruit of increased numbers, but our numbers are staying pretty level. They're pretty stagnant right now, right? With, um, you know, so people are dropping out of unionization or dropping out of unionized jobs, uh, but more are coming in. I think a lot were hit hard during the pandemic. Yep. I think it has everything to do with the pandemic. And I, um, it, I think it's worth noting that a lot of workers are taking uh, things into their own hands. And this is this is a lot of these uh, campaigns are grassroots campaigns in the workers. I mean, Starbucks, that's that's yep. what it is. It's yeah. the workers are doing everything. Yep. They weren't uh, they don't have a, uh, a larger union behind them right, right off the bat. Right. So I think what's happening is people are coming around to the fact that they should be treated better yep. at work. Yeah, no question. So encouraging, um, but, you know, we need to continue to talk about it. And as, as union workers out there, when you have the opportunity to tell somebody what a great thing it is to be in a union job, don't miss that opportunity. Talk about it. Yeah, right? we might have taken a hit with membership rates due to the pandemic. Yes. But on the same note, I think it awoken uh, workers to the reality that we yes. earn the profits. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, and we don't we don't have to you <laughs> exactly. know, put up with it. It awoken the sleeping giant. Yeah, I, I hope. I hope too. All right. So as always, we're going to close the show with a labor quote. What do we got, Minnie? So we have a quote from Mary Kay Henry. She's the first woman to lead the Service Employees International Union. 
She was she dedicated her work to improving the rights of LGBT union members and co-founded the Lavender Caucus, a gay and lesbian group within the union. Okay, that's appropriate for Pride Month. Absolutely. That's that's why I picked her. Um, And her quote is, we need to throw the doors of the labor movement movement open and welcome people in. And that's a really, uh, again, appropriate to to use her this month. Um, but really important for for people to understand how this fits, because, I, listen, I've heard criticisms of of this podcast. Right. When when we when we talk about certain subjects and I just want to say to people who are listening, if you are interested enough in in the labor movement and in your union to listen to this podcast, then you need to really listen. Right. You need to open yes. your ears and open your minds and understand that unionism is not about making you putting you personally in a better place. Unionism is all about inclusiveness, right? Unionism does not discriminate, right? We are about making all workers, regardless of whatever differences we have, all workers prosper, right? So, so I really want to encourage people to be open-minded about things like that. I really will be disappointed if we get, um, you know, negative I, feedback I, for talking about LGBTQ stuff. I also think it's worth noting that in a lot of places, people could be fired for who they are and who they love when they're not, they weren't represented by a union. And I think that's just atrocious. It should have never been. And unions have been fighting against us for a very long time. Yep, absolutely. And that's what unions fight against, right? They fight against that kind of discrimination, regardless of what the discriminatory um, activity is pointed at. Exactly. Right? We don't tolerate discrimination, period. Yes, exactly. So let's get on board. We're always telling people, come down, get sworn in. And when you think about what the oath of obligation to our union actually says, it, yes. it, it's about respecting your fellow member and treating everybody equally. Yeah, so. absolutely. All right. Thanks for that, Vinny. Appreciate it. So um, that does it for this episode. Um, as always, we want to hear from you. Remember to email us. Tell us what you like about the podcast. Tell us what you hate about the podcast. Shoot us an email at comms at teamsters1150.org. That's C-O-M-M-S at teamsters1150.org. Um, let us know what you think. Let us know what you want to hear. Um, but remember to follow us. Thank you for listening always. But follow us on Podbean. If you're not following us, shame on you. Go there and do it. Yep. All right. Um, But until next time, I'm Stephen French. I'm Vinny Katie. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. We'll see you next time.